How has recovery changed the way you live and make choices in your life? Welcome to episode 185 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Val, Danielle, and Melanie. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Val, Danielle, and Melanie, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps a few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me is Maria. Welcome to the studio. Thanks. This is the first in what I hope will be a series of episodes that I'm tentatively titling Beyond Recovery, where we explore the ways in which recovery has worked in one person's life beyond the alcoholic situation that originally brought them into recovery. We're starting this series with Maria and her Beyond Recovery story. I picked a reading here. It's from the book Courage to Change, which is one of our Al-Anon daily readers. It's from February 22nd. I had problems making decisions because my standards were impossible to achieve. I wanted to make decisions that would get me exactly what I wanted, or I didn't want to make them at all. I learned in Al-Anon that no one can know in advance all the consequences of any decision. We can only take the information at hand and do our best in choosing thoughtfully. I don't have to make decisions alone. I can turn to God and ask for help. Over time, I have come to realize that this help takes many forms. A meeting topic that offered perspective, a tug at my stomach, a coincidence. And sometimes, God speaks through others. When members share their experience, strength, and hope, I listen carefully to how they handled similar situations. In the grand scheme of things, no single decision is ever really that important. I can do my best to make decisions wisely, but the results are in the hands of a higher power. And the reminder says, with the help of a higher power, decision-making can be one of life's great adventures. Each crossroad brings a new challenge, and I am capable of dealing with whatever comes my way. I chose that reading partly because I know that before I came to Al-Anon, and even after I came into recovery and had some better tools, I had uh, often had a hard time making what seemed like big decisions. I know that you recently made a, a major change in your life, and why don't we start, tell us about what happened or, and what you decided and what you're doing now. Sure. So I recently quit my job and went back to school. So I'm changing careers. I had a job I was in for a long, long time and was never quite satisfied with it, but I never really knew what else to do. Eventually, it, it all just sort of became more became more clear. I had more ideas and Things came to me about how, you know, I was always good at certain things and, like, why was I not doing those things? Why were those things not a part of my job at all? And, you know, so I just kind of explored different avenues, and the more I explored, the more it just kind of fit. It all kind of worked out, and I ended up quitting my job last August and going back to school this past fall. So, yeah. And and it's pretty much full-time school, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty full-time. Yes. So I want you to think back to maybe before you came into Al-Anon or before you really understood how you could use the tools that, that we 
find in recovery to to live your life outside of the alcoholic situation, thinking about, I know for me, there's a lot of inertia in making a decision like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it seems so much easier to just stay where I am, even if I'm not happy. Yeah. Then put alcohol on top of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, that was actually honestly a big factor, I think, in why I stayed at my job so long was that I just, you know, there was a lot of inertia. And then the alcohol on top of that, I was dealing with all this craziness at home. And so I was like, well, this job is boring me to tears, but it, it's comfortable and it, you know, pays the bills and stuff. And I don't have to think too much. I, I was so overwhelmed with the alcoholic chaos at home that I just like didn't have any energy left to do anything beyond what I was already doing. Was there Was there also anything about well, I have to take care of things because oh, I'm yeah. the responsible one here, and so I have to keep this job so I can take care of things. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I had to have the responsible job, so it was boring, but I was the, had to be the one who took care of things, whether that meant, like, including all kinds of things, like being the one who had the steady paycheck and, this, you know, the benefits and the whatever. Like, I had to provide all of that because I couldn't count on him for that. And I had to be the one to, like, provide the stability at home as far as like making sure we had like food to eat and groceries and stuff like that. So it just felt like there wasn't time for extra stuff for me before. So then there's an interesting to me question here. I don't know. Let's see where it goes. In in our book, How Al-Anon Works, in the discussion of step one, it says something to the effect that Al-Anon does not promise that sobriety will solve all our problems. I know that your loved one found sobriety several years ago. Mm, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But I guess five years ago at this point. You still stayed in the in the responsible, boring job. Oh, yeah, yeah. I still stayed in the responsible, boring job for quite a while because, well, I mean, partly there were other things going on. And I couldn't quite trust. It took a little while for trust to develop that, like, was the sobriety really going to stick around or not? You know, so alcohol was like one wrench that got thrown into my life that I was dealing with. And so I just needed the boring, stable job for that reason. And then after that, and and I've talked about this on the show before, but infertility was sort of another wrench that got thrown into the works. And that sort of became the focus of life for a little while. And that was another reason, like there's just too much chaos going on. And I really need the boring, stable job that I can just that I don't have to think about because there's too many other things to think about. That's right. You had you actually had two big things. Yeah. <laughs> one yeah. after the other. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to I want to back up a little bit and and ask if you can think about how you were able to use your recovery tools in dealing with all of the the uncertainty and the big decisions that you had to make during that process of dealing with infertility. Uh, yeah. I mean, that I really really leaned hard on my program. I I mean, it was another whole thing I couldn't control, right? Like alcoholism, you can't control it. And it's like, well, yeah, infertility, you also can't control it. It's just, it's this big thing and there's nothing I could do. I mean, there were things I could do, but it wouldn't, you know, the things I could do would not necessarily solve the problem, right? So. Right. There were the things you could do and then you had to wait for the outcome, right. which was out of your right. hands. Right, exactly. That whole, you know, do what you can and then let go of the outcome thing was definitely very much in the forefront of my mind a lot. So so that and just the serenity prayer, like, 
what are the things you can control and the things you can't control. And, and, you know, there were some pretty big things I could not control. Yeah. Which actually, you know, ended up factoring into the whole career thing later because it's like, well, all right, that whole business didn't really go the way I wanted it to, but the outcome was not up to me. So that falls in the category of things I can't control, have to just accept it. But then like, well, what are the things that I can control? And it occurred to me like, well, I can still work on my career. That's something I can do that, you know, doesn't require any like miracles to happen. So, you know, it seemed somehow after years, yeah, actually after years of uh, infertility treatments and stuff, it made school look really easy and simple and cheap and not, you know, short, not time consuming. So, <laughs> yeah, so that was that was part of it. It, it made deciding to go back to school really, really easy. But but as, but back to your original question about, like, what was life like before I found recovery and how I made decisions before then? Yeah. I, I really just kind of fell into things. Like, I didn't really make decisions. I was one of those people that never want, knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. And that pretty much continued till maybe this year <laughs> or so. It, it does make it hard to say this is not the job I want if you don't really know what you want exactly. to be. Exactly. Well, and it makes it really hard to leave that job if you don't know what else you want to do instead. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> that was sort of a prerequisite. <laughs> so how did you come to that clarity? So I came to that clarity. Uh, I mean, partly I realized like, okay, I was always good with numbers and I, but I wasn't in school, but then I really wasn't using that in my job at all. And it seemed really kind of odd and kind of a waste because there's a lot of good jobs out there that involve being good with numbers and I wasn't doing any of them. And, you know, so it just, it seemed, seemed strange. So I kind of, I, I had some, a little bit of experience with, with certain things. And so I thought, well, maybe, you know, do I, maybe I want to do this. Do I want to go into this field? I don't know. Let me take a class. I'll try it out. See if I, see if I like it, see, you know, learn a little more about it. So I took a class and liked it, and it was good thing for me. And well, this this kind of happened at the same time as the infertility. Actually, it was like, okay, I took a class and then realized, oh wait, all of this career stuff kind of has to go on hold because there's like medical stuff that's going to be all consuming for a while. And then that was all consuming for a while. Ultimately, nothing really worked. So it was kind of like, all right, well, now what? Uh, well, there's this other thing that had been on hold, so let's go back to that because that's something I can do something about. So I took another class in that to see, do I really want to do this? I don't know. Let me let me make sure that I really want to do this. And you know, so I learned more about it and thought, yeah, like this is this is good. Let me see what the options are. If I were to really pursue this, it would involve like going back to school, getting another degree. So I kind of did some research around around that the way it worked i went and talked to somebody at at the school program just just to get some information because their deadlines were were passed or then there was a deadline that was coming up but it was like way too soon to be realistic it was like a couple weeks away at this point when i talked to the person so i went and talked to her and she thought she told me like oh well you know, you could just try, you know, sure, you'd have to take this standardized placement test first and you'd have to, you know, write these essays and fill out the forms and whatever. But but you could do that. Like, why not just try it? Just just see what happens. And I thought, really? 
huh, well, she seems to think that I might be okay at this and maybe I have a shot at it. So why not? So I have to have to ask, is that approach a new way of doing things for you? Not entirely, because it was kind of somebody else's suggestion that I just try for it. But following the suggestion. Following the suggestion, maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think at that point, it was still theoretical in my mind. I was like, I don't know. I'm just doing this just to see. I'm not really doing this. I'm not going to do that, because that's unrealistic. But, like, I'll, I'll just do it just to see, just to find out. And. Well, and also part of part of why she suggested this was that, you know, she said, well, you know, there's scholarships available, but you won't know what you qualify for unless you apply. And I thought, oh, well, that's true. So maybe I'll do it just to get information, you know, just to get find out what's going on. And then, you know, so I just did all this stuff in a kind of ridiculously condensed time period, but it worked out, and I ended up hearing back that I got in and that they wanted to give me a generous scholarship. And I thought, wow, okay, well, hey, that kind of ties back to the reading a little bit to me. Like, there, there's this bit in the reading about guidance can come in different forms, like a tug at my stomach or a coincidence, or sometimes God speaks through others. But for me, like, having that experience of, like, oh, I wasn't even entirely ready for this, but... They want to let me into this program and they want to give me a generous scholarship. That seemed like, you know, a coincidence. Like, hey, like the universe telling me, you know, this might be a good idea. Like other people think yeah. you can do this. So why not try for it? You know, so that was definitely encouraging. Do you think if five years ago or eight years ago, whenever it was, you came in the program? Mm, six and a half, six I think. And, okay. Yeah. I mean, number one, you wouldn't have been talking to this person. Right. But I wonder if that had happened and if you had done actually done the application process and if you got the scholarship, how do you think you might have responded your old self? My old self. Good, interesting question. I think my old self might have still felt like, well, but I can't just up and quit my job and go back to school. Like, that's, you know, who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to do the laundry? Who's gonna, uh, no, I don't know if I ever really did much laundry, but, um, <laughs> but I must have. Um, but it, it got done somehow. It got done right? somehow. Yeah. But I think I might have had a different take on it, like that sense of, like, over responsibility that I was carrying around. Like I have to be the responsible one. Like it's my, my duty to have a boring job so that I can be the responsible one. I don't know. I think it was part of my martyr suffering thing. Like see how I suffer. I'm suffering through this boring, boring job because I have to be the one to like, make sure we have like insurance and stuff like that. I don't think I would have even like pursued any of this to that point because you know, to take a class for myself or, you know, to do all of that stuff kind of involves taking my own needs and wants like more seriously than I did at the time. Yeah. Like I think at that point it was all about everybody else and what did they want and what did they need and how can I help that or, you know, not help it or, you know, react basically to everything around me instead of actually looking for what I might want and what I might need. Yeah. Yeah, and I hear this this thing that we emphasize in even in early recovery of taking care of ourselves, mm-hmm. understanding what our own needs are and trying to address them. 
you know, okay. putting your own oxygen mask on first, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and going back to school for a career change, that's a pretty huge oxygen mask. But <laughs> Yeah. Well, and it's a pretty like I don't know, it's kind of a as far as needs go, like it's not something that I identified as a need before. You know, because it's like, well, I have a job. It's okay. Doing, I know what I'm doing. It's safe. Need. And well, and it gets back to this concept of like surviving versus thriving. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I was – before I came into the program, I was really big on just surviving. Like that was that was it. I didn't need anything. I, I thought I was like low maintenance because I didn't need anything. I didn't have any needs. Like I just needed the basics like, you know, food and water maybe. Maybe place shelter, to place yeah. to sleep. Yeah, yeah. But like doing something I wanted to be doing all day instead of doing something that, like, bored me to tears all day, that didn't seem like a need. That seemed like a luxury, like a want. And you're just not allowed to have those, huh? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I remember, so the job I had, I remember reading some book once about, it was, like, jobs for people who like to travel. And there were, like, different different options that they gave. And some of them were like, you could incorporate traveling into your work by doing this or that or whatever. Or another option they gave was you could have the quote unquote good enough job, which was the job that like had nothing to do with traveling, but like paid okay and gave you decent benefits and like enough time off that like it was good enough most of the time. And then you could like travel during your like off time. And so it was like the good enough job. And I was like, oh, that's exactly what I have, the good enough job. Like it was good enough for a long time. It was it was okay. It was fine. I was <laughs> All bored. Those words. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't I, I didn't enjoy it. I kind of dreaded going every day. I you know, it just yeah. So yeah, basically I think the program helped me realize that like, you know, good enough sometimes isn't good enough. I don't want to be settling with what I'm doing yeah. because it's what I do all day long, every day until I retire. Like that's a long time. Yeah. And that is a need. And it is important that I feel like I'm doing something worthwhile with my time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You've completed your first semester mm -hmm. um, in this program. I'm sure that your life was very different for those, what, three or four months mm -hmm. yeah. than it had been. Were you able to use some of your recovery tools to sustain yourself during that time? Yeah. I mean, I I was super busy. So a lot of my normal recovery tools, like going to lots of meetings and stuff, kind of fell by the wayside. So I felt like I wasn't using the tools as much as I could have been. But, but I did hold pretty strongly to I, I have a practice of doing my daily reader in the mornings. So I'll do the daily reader and then go through like a quick gratitude list and serenity prayer. And then I guess what I've heard people say, the 11th step prayer, which is basically like, God, grant me knowledge of your will for me today and the power to carry that out. Mm -hmm. And then and then I kind of go through like, and if I had to guess, what would that be? Like, what do I think your will for me today might be? And then it, that kind of helps me stay on track a little bit as far as what I want to be aiming for that day. As far as other recovery tools, I mean, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of serenity prayers. <laughs> a lot of serenity <laughs> yeah. prayer. A lot of serenity yeah. prayer. Yeah. 
I just looked up 11-step prayer, and I think you're thinking about the morning prayer from, it says, found on page 86 of Alcoholics Anonymous, the big book. God, direct my thinking today so that it be empty of self-pity, dishonesty, self-will, self-seeking, and fear. Inspire my thinking decisions and intuitions. Help me to relax and take it easy. Free me from doubt and indecision. Guide me through this day and show me my next step. Show me what I need to do to take care of any problems. I ask all these things that I may be of maximum service to you and my fellow man. That's that's the official that's eleven the official, step prayer. Okay, yeah, that sounds like maybe better than my version, but well, you know, it's we'll, similar. We'll see. Yeah, it's similar, similar, but a little more specific. Yeah. And yeah, it says say this in the morning, and then there's another one for the evening uh-huh. you know, at the end of the day. I've heard them shortened to something like "Let me do your will today in the morning," and. Thank you for keeping me sober in the evening. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah. it's a, yeah. Um, but yeah, those those kind of things just to help help keep you from totally sort of freaking out. I guess I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very it's very different, but in the, at the same time, it's kind of familiar. So I'm so I'm in grad school, but I'm like back at the same university that I was at as an undergrad. So in some ways it sort of feels like going back in time to like this earlier version of myself and like, oh yeah, same building, same vibe, but it's different classes and everything. But Mm -hmm. so in some ways it's familiar, but then in other ways it's new and there's a lot of things that I'm needing to do that I'm like not in the habit of doing. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are kind of pushing not pushing boundaries exactly, but like pushing your comfort zone. Pushing my comfort zone, yes. So exactly. Let me let me give you a little directed question there, maybe. I know that the program you're in involves a lot of group work. Yes. Yes. How have you been able to use the the stuff you've learned in Al Anon to be able to get what you need in the group? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean it definitely helps a lot just just having that basic Al-Anon concept of like you can't control other people mm-hmm. and they're going to do what they're going to do that i think in a in a group project type of setting helps me to realize okay some people are just going to be that way you might get someone really overbearing you might get someone who d- contributes nothing like that that's just how it is and like i'm not in charge of that and i just need to hold my own and make sure that what i'm doing i feel good about and you know let go of the outcome it's not entirely up to me and i just need to do my part mm-hmm. and that's kind of basic i feel like that's basic alanon but it works everywhere like i just need to make sure i'm doing my part in a way that i feel good about and you know, other people will do whatever it is they're going to do, and I may or may not like that, but it's not mine to say how they handle things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, just learning to, like, get along with all different types of people and different approaches to things. Yeah, that's definitely really helpful. What new challenges are you facing here, and and how are your recovery tools helping you to meet them? So one big challenge I've been thinking a lot a lot about lately is schedule-wise. I've just been super, super busy. There's just a ton of stuff. I, I think I kind of alluded to this earlier. Like I initially kind of responded to this by going, well, I got to do the school thing. I quit my job to like do the school thing full time, so I better do it as best I possibly can and everything else goes out the window, right? You know, so that was my approach for a while. And then we we had this 
break uh, about to go back and start the second semester of this. And I'm realizing like, I can't do that again. Like I need to go back with a new approach of like, no, I need maintenance. I need self-care through this process, not afterwards Mm -hmm. through the process. Like at the same time, not letting yourself be that martyr. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause it's, I was totally slipping into this martyr thing of like, you know, in some ways, like the new schedule was like becoming my new alcoholic where I was like developing this martyr complex about like, I'm so busy and I don't have time for this. And I had to stay up so late and do this and that. And I have to do this and I have to do that. And it's like, no, that's just my old martyr complex coming out. It's, it's funny how, like, I feel like I don't really get over these issues. They just sort of transfer to a different, different context, different details, but it's like still me and still the martyr thing. It's just the specifics might have changed, but so, so that's a new challenge. And, but I'm realizing once I realize that it's there, I have this whole box of tools that I can turn to as far as how to cope with it. And, and I think, I think realizing that it's there is also a tool. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I I mean, my earlier self just would have muddled through and been resentful and like had no clue that I was even doing this martyr thing. Yeah. So yeah, having the self-awareness is huge. And then once I have the self-awareness, I've got all these tools I can go to like, okay, go back to square one with Al-Anon, like self-care. I need self-care. I need a minimum level of like exercise and maybe get to like a meeting sometime. And, (laughs) you know, just maybe, just maybe. And basic stuff, sleep, food, these are basic things. But, you know, when push comes to shove, like my tendency was always to go to that martyr place of, well, what's the bare minimum I need to like survive? I don't need to thrive. I just need to survive. And I'm just realizing, no, I need I need more than that. Yes, I could survive, but I'm not going to be happy. And if I'm not happy, like, that's not going to help me accomplish what I need to accomplish. And I'm also just not going to be happy. Like, being accomplishing things isn't the only goal in life. And it's not necessarily what I want to make the only goal in my life. So, so one thing that happened where I was able to use some tools from the program... The semester was I had a difficult interaction with somebody in one of these group projects that I had. You know, we were all working on something and each kind of going along, doing our part. And I was talking through my bit and someone just fast forwarded the thing. So like basically cutting me off. It just really bothered me. Like it felt like, I mean, I think it kind of hit some, like, insecurities about, like, ah, do I really know what I'm doing here? Or maybe I'm not any good at this. And this person just cut me off, and it's proof that, like, no, other people think I'm terrible at this, and I shouldn't be here, and I shouldn't be doing this. And so, you know, sort of pushed some buttons there. It it upset me. I, you know, wasn't really sure what to do about it, but, you know, program tools. I called my sponsor about this, and you know, talked about it, explained the situation, and asked for, you know, thoughts on how to handle it. Got some good advice. You know, I was thinking about confronting this person, and, you know, I got some input on, like, how how to do that in a way that might go better than, you know, what I had originally had in mind. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I was able to talk to this person afterwards and say, hey, when you fast-forwarded the slide, I thought I felt offended 
And I was able to like put it into an I statement instead of saying, hey, I didn't like it when you did that, you know, which probably would have put the other person on the defensive. So I got that that input of of how to phrase it. And and my other question to my sponsor was like, is this petty? Should I even be bringing this up at all? Do I have a right to say something here? And I think it was because like my like pre-recovery self would never have said anything. It would I would have just been hurt, offended and felt badly about it, but felt like I couldn't say anything. I couldn't stand up for myself. I couldn't voice my concerns about anything. I just had to like sit back and take it. But like being in the program now, I can am more able to to see that like no, you know, if I was hurt by something, offended by something, like I have a right to speak up and say, "Hey, I was not okay with this." Did you have any expectation of what the other person's response might be? I did feel like I had enough program in me to to know that like if I was going to say something, it shouldn't be about that. Like I, I mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I didn't want to have any expectations about what this person would do or not do in response. And then if I was going to say something, it had to be for me and not for them. I did end up saying something and it was really kind of amazing. You know, I said, Hey, I was offended when you did this. And, and she just said, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, when we explained that, like, I guess there had been a misunderstanding and she had thought I was done and I thought she knew I wasn't done and she intentionally cut me off because she thought that I was going to talking too long or, you know, and anyway, it turned out to be totally fine. And then there were subsequent interactions later where, you know, we had totally friendly conversations and like everything went really well. And it was like, wow, this is such a different way of handling things. Like my pre-recovery self would never have said anything, but just secretly harbored resentment against this person, you know, as long as I knew her. And it's like my recovery self, I can speak up for myself, for one. And I can resolve this weird issue that came up and like we can move on and I can actually be friends with this person. Mm-hmm. So it's it's, it's just cool. a totally different way of being in the world. Then it, it opens up different possibilities. So it's, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So I've been over the year doing a very occasional sequence on these statements that are sometimes called the gifts of Al-Anon. And there's one that says, courage and fellowship will replace fear. We will be able to risk failure to develop new hidden talents. And to me, that that statement does speak to what what you did, what you're doing. And I'm wondering if you see this manifesting in your life and what ways you see it manifesting in your life. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I guess at this point I'm totally risking failure to develop new hidden talents. That's that's what I'm doing. I quit my day job and went back to school to do something totally different. But it's it's possible. Like I think it's it's possible. Well, and you're not at least as from what I hear from you, you're not fearful about it. Yeah, I mean there is some fear, of course. but it's like manageable. Yeah. Like I mean this this the statement says courage and fellowship will replace fear. Which I don't know if that's entirely true. Like I think the fear is still there, but it's a lot quieter, and mm-hmm. there's a lot more courage, and there's a lot more fellowship. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm going through this program that involves a lot of new things that I'm not used to, and there's a lot of feeling outside my comfort zone, and like uh, I'm not really sure how am I supposed to handle this? Do I do it this way? Should I do it that way? Is there an established way that I just don't know? I don't know. You know, so there's a lot of that, but but I'm figuring it out, and I'm. 
one day at a time, one thing at a time, one awkward situation at a time. I'm figuring out what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's okay. So it's definitely, yeah, I feel like this gift of Alanon is definitely coming true for me through this because, yeah, I don't know that I would have been doing this without without the program, without that, all of the, you know, the tools and the background knowledge and just knowing that, like, my not being happy with my work life, like, was something that mattered enough to do something about, you yeah. know? Well, thank you for your time today, Maria. And it's just, it's, it's awesome to me to see the ways in which recovery works well beyond the situation that we first came in for. Yeah. This, this has nothing to do with what I first came in for. (laughs) (laughs) But you wouldn't be where you are if you hadn't. Right. Right. It definitely, like it, I feel like it gives me all these tools where I can like take life to a whole, different different place and makes a lot of new scary things less scary and more more doable so yeah well thank you for uh, having me on if you'd like to join our conversation here You can leave a voicemail or send an email with your feedback or your questions. If you'd like to participate more fully in the Recovery Show program by being a guest host on an episode, maybe sharing your Beyond Recovery story, you can find information about doing that on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash contact, or you can send an email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. You can leave a voicemail at 734 707-8795 or use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation directly from your computer or smartphone. We would love to hear from you. Please share your experience, strength, and hope or your story. And if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know as well. And you can find all the information about the show at our website, which is therecoveryshow.com. We have a few Listeners who have joined our conversation this week with email and voicemail. Michelle wrote, I heard about the issue of dominance in a group. That got me wondering if there has ever been anyone that you know of actually attacked in a group. Let me explain. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater, food addict, and codependent. I currently live in an area where there are no OA or CODA meetings, so I survive on a small AA meeting here locally. They've been very welcoming in general. However, recently personalities changed and suddenly I was the target of a vicious attack by the females in the group. I was accused of 13th stepping one of the male members. The person who attacked me was acting as my step sponsor. Much of what I had said under the guise of a sponsor-sponsee relationship was twisted and thrown in my face, setting back my recovery by miles. I was devastated. I left the group for about two weeks and contemplated leaving the program altogether but I've always been dedicated to my program because I've seen how it works for me, so I went back. The male members seemed glad to see me. Some of them had taken me aside to ask what happened. The member I was accused of 13th stepping has been my biggest supporter, partly because he knew the accusations were bull. He's also been one of the biggest inspirations I've met in program. So I guess my question is this. 
Have you ever heard of these types of things happening? And if so, what was done or how was it dealt with? Thanks, Spencer. Keep coming back, Michelle. And I have to say, I have not personally experienced uh, an open attack of that sort in a meeting. I have seen it happen, but in the sort of in the privacy of, of a one-on-one conversation, not open in a meeting like that, that the fact that your sponsor was involved and that your sponsor used information that you had told her in confidence seems like a, just a real problem to me. Um, it definitely goes beyond my understanding of the sponsor-sponsee relationship where as a sponsor, I'm really dedicated to keeping everything that my sponsee tells me confidential. It's really, really going outside a boundary to do that, in my opinion. But I, I am glad to hear that you did not let it totally derail your recovery and that you're finding your way back into fellowship because that, as we know, that's important. Thanks for writing. And maybe, uh, if, if you're listening and somebody listening has, has had a similar incident happen to you, if you could share how you dealt with it, that could be, that could be helpful to people, other people. Thanks. Lorianne called with a voicemail offering to help out and with a topic suggestion. Hi, this is Lorianne. I wanted to wish you a happy new year and thank you so much for, for all that you do with this podcast. I can't imagine the, the amount of work. I had heard some feedback that, that was kind of like coming across as constructive criticism, but I, I just wanted to give my two cents and say I do an amazing job. Seems like it's a one-man show. Need help, um, please reach out for it. If there's anything that I could be of service to. I also have an idea for a topic um, after a conversation with my mom yesterday, and, and it's how to have conversations with other family members who might not be in Al-Anon. Um, that are helping out another family or the user, the Alex issue, a healthy approach to that. And um, I'd actually like to hear other people's feedback on that because it was an interesting conversation. She was in a healthier place. We were sharing about my brother's drug use. And um, that might be a, might be a topic if you are interested in considering. Um, thank you again for all that you do. Bye. You know, that, that really sort of resonates with the other, other people who've called and written about having similar conversations. And I know people, I've been approached by people who are like in a situation and wanting advice and not, but not willing to, to take the full step into recovery. Could be, could be good to talk about as a topic. So thanks for that idea. Sherry wrote about Don C's open talk. She writes, Dawn C. blessed my life with her story tonight. I learned today that I will be laid off from my job March 31st. I prayed that God would use my life in a positive way. Today, I turned my job and my career over to God, my higher power. I know he has a plan for my life, and I prayed for a YouTube video of comfort. Dawn C. was the one. Thank you, Dawn. You blessed my heart. Sherry. And thanks for writing, Sherry. Uh, I don't have any direct connection with Dawn, but... uh, I'm sure that uh, she knows that her story has touched people. And I'm glad I could bring it to you. Doreen left a comment on an old meditation blog post from 2013 titled A God of My Own Understanding. And I will put a link to that in the show notes at therecoveryshow.com slash 185. 
She writes, I really liked the message. I needed to hear this today and glad God helped me find it. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show. We do have expenses, which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Val, Danielle, and Melanie did. And thank you again, Val, Danielle, and Melanie, for your contributions. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of those links or on the Donate by Shopping link will help us. It costs you nothing extra. It helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecoveryshow.com or just listening to us. We are here for you. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.